Hello, and welcome back to Ranking 76, where we're continuing our journey on Ranking 76 of the most notorious and infamous Western Outlaws in American history. I am Eric. And I'm Matt. And today we're doing number seven, and it's a big name, because it's Jesse James. Jesse James, the American Outlaw. Do-do-do-do-do. I think you have been waiting for this guy since we actually announced the podcast, so... I think he's like the only one I truly like know more than just a name about. What do you know? Um, well, he was a very famous outlaw. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to go negative on this guy. He was part of a gang, right? The James Younger gang. Is that is that real? That is. That is true. Okay. They did. They robbed a bunch of banks. And I mean, if you go off the, uh, you know, the American Outlaws movie starring Colin Farrell. He did it all to save his ranch from the railroads. And he was a good guy. And he got away. We'll get into that if he's a good guy or not. And they also have a movie, though. I mean, I know who, what, how he his life ends because of the movie. I'm pretty sure it won a couple Academy Awards. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Henry... Robert. Robert Ford. Yep. Yeah. Right. Close. It's a very good movie. It's actually based on a book by him. Yeah. It's very good. So that's the most you know about someone. Let's Yay! Let's... I'm a real boy. You did it. You did a history. All right. Jumping in. Jesse was born on September 5th, 1847. And after calamity, I'm really happy we have a confirmed date that we don't need to hunt down. He was born in uh, September 5th, 1847 in Clay County, Missouri to a preacher, Robert, and his mother, Zerelda. He was born into a staunch pro-slavery family, which you would think would be a bit odd for a preacher, but they always seem to miss that irony built in the build-up to the Civil War. His father must have been very good and charismatic at preaching, as the Congress would allow Robert and his two slaves to build, in, to build a new church. Gro- Jesse would grow up a slave owner himself. Hmm, I did not know that. Yep, Missouri. Uh, it's also a world... Well, we'll get into it. Two years after his birth, uh, gold is found in California, and Robert catches a fever, and the only prescription is more gold. Robert leaves for California. Jesse is said to have been pulling on his father's pant leg, begging for him not to go, as he's two years old. Ah, Jesus. Well, hold on a second. He didn't bring his family? Nope, just him. You really don't bring your family there. Well, yeah, because it's dangerous and all that jazz. Dangerous, and there's no reason, like, there's no guarantee you're going to secede, and in fact, most don't. Keeping with that trend, Robert dies in California in 1850, more in debt than when he actually showed up to begin. Jesse is now raised by his mother, Zerelda, who was 25 years old at the time, has three children and six slaves to watch over. Zerelda is a very strong-willed woman and has to fight to keep her lifestyle. Zerelda did not inherit anything from Robert. Jesse and his older brother, Frank, are too young to claim any of the land and therefore are taken from their mother. Even if they could claim the land, Robert, like many other slaveholders, are very low on cash and hands out IOUs. So his estate actually has to be put up for auction twice. Uh, unable to pay, Zerelda asks the congregation for help, but, does, but doesn't receive any. With no other options, she marries a rich older man named Reuben Samuel. 
where the boys are returned back to their mother's care. If you remember in Wild Bill's episode, uh, where Wild Bill lived in a period of bleeding Kansas, this is the border state of Kansas during the elections during the same time period. So Jesse is growing up on the opposite border during the same time period, only he's much younger. Jesse is barely a teenager when war, when civil war breaks out in 1861. And he fights for the South. Or what would be, right? Uh, kinda. We'll get into that. But, yeah. Jesse's older brother, Frank, joins the Southern cause early on the war period in 1863. He is identified to be a member of a guerrilla squad, commonly known as the Bushwhackers, and specifically to a band of William Quantrell's raiders. And Matt, this is where I need you to do me a favor, because whenever I hear the word bushwhackers, I think of the professional wrestling tag team, and I'm going to guess you don't know who they are, and I need you to Google search their entrance. WWE or F bushwhackers, everyone follow along, and this is how they all walk. Bushwhackers walk? Sure. All right, I'm, I'm hitting play right now. <laughs> So they walked like, yes, it's not even like arms flailing. Dun, 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 dun. See they if I walk. can't find that music to enter. They walk like a bunch of idiots. And that's all I can think of as they're marching down the line. So anyway, in May of that year, the militia company raided Jesse's family's farm. So the union came down into Jesse's farm looking for Frank and other members of the group. Jesse saw the soldiers break into his house tie his stepfather's hands in place and tie a rope around his neck. They throw the rope over the limb of a tree and repeatedly hang and release Reuben until he tells them where Frank is hiding. The information led to about five bushwhackers being killed, Frank narrowly escaping himself. Reuben and Zerelda were taken prisoner for a short time, but are later released. Jesse, now motivated after seeing his stepfather tortured by the Yankees, now joins the Bushwhackers himself. I do want to put a disclaimer on it. I am not much of a military guy. I spent a fair amount of my time trying to wrap my head around the idea of how to describe them. So if you're into military history and I have made anything incorrect, please let me know and reach out. I'd love to learn from you. The Bushwhackers have actually been around since the American Revolutionary War, or the term Bushwhackers have been. What they really mean is guerrilla warfare. And in fact, the Union and the Confederates both use bushwhackers. It is the same tactic Native Americans use when they fight. They fight more independently. They tend to be more ruthless and unforgiving. Guerrilla warfare itself is personal. And also, you're not part of the main army. There are no medals. You do not fight in a battlefield. And you fight in close proximity to your enemy. And you simply you ambush them. Biographer J.T. Styles, who is so good. If you haven't read J.T. Styles' book on Jesse James, it's definitely worth your time. Please go read him. T.J. Styles says, Theirs was purely a tactical war, a war to inflict pain, to punish, to kill, and destroy. Every barn and brook was a battlefield. Every civilian, either ally or target, by stepping on that brooding, death-like camp, Jesse James entered a race to find himself and to kill as many enemies as he could. So after he saw that, he kind of, I don't want to say snapped, but he entered the war and he was just, he was motivated. He dives right in. 
Yeah. There is from no. not being in the war to just like I'm going to kill as many people as I can, or yeah. enemies rather. Oh, it, he would have viewed them. I mean, there would have been no, no niceties about it. As can you imagine seeing a member of your family being hung? Let go, hung, let go, hung, like right. And then the reason they're there is so they can go hunt down and kill your brother, who just barely escapes. Who yeah. Yeah, that would be, yeah, I guess that's pretty motivating to be like, nah, okay, let's let's go ahead and take care of these these bleepers. Almost needed the gunshot there. If you, from where, from my understanding of the Bushwhackers or Quantrell's Raiders, if you were too young, or maybe your views were just a little too extreme for the main army, you would join the Bushwhackers. Perfect for a revenge-seeking teenager like Jesse. Frank would later recall, Jesse's brother, if you ever wanted to pick a company to do desperate work, select young men from ages 17 to 21 years old. Take our company, and there have never been a more reckless lot of men. Only one or two were over 25. Most of them were under 21. Scarcely a dozen boasted a mustache, and a veteran put it this way. If you're going to learn... The one thing you're going to learn is one of the most brutal things in the world is your average 19-year-old American boy. So Jesse rides out in his newly sewn gorilla shirt, which is a loose pullover with two breast pockets for percussion caps, powder charges, and 36 caliber lead balls, which was likely made by his mother. And he joins the fight in 1864. And over the next couple of months, he meets up with two pretty notorious men, Archie Clement, lesser known, and much better known, Bloody Bill Anderson. So keep both those men in, the, in, in mind. Archie Clement, Bloody Bill Anderson. Jesse sees action in, the, in May of 1864, where they set up ambushes. Part of their orders was that there was no line between combatants and civilians. You're just going to attack whoever you would like. Oh, so whoever was just out, whoever just happened to be out, 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 that sucks for you. Yep, we're going after you. On June 1st, dressed up as Union soldiers, they knock on the door of Bradley Bond. They ask for the man of the house, and then when Bond steps outside, he is shot to death. The next day, they kill another man in a similar fashion. Over the next few weeks, at least eight Union sympathizers are killed. A lot of the men are killed in front of their wives and their children. They killed one slave, quote, for fun. Jeez. So they're kind of, they're blurring the lines between war and being psychotic. If we're going to give them a modern term, they're terrorists. Now, you can't really confirm that Jesse killed Bradley Bond, although it is largely attributed as Bradley is his first kill. You can neither prove that he killed either of the men the next day. However, he was there. If he wasn't the one doing the shooting, he would have been near the porch or knocking on the door for them. Uh, there's no doubt he wholeheartedly believed in what they were doing. We do know in one of the shootouts, Jesse loses the tip of his finger and in agonizing pain yells, 
Dingus. You dingus. <laughs> dingus. Wasn't there a player, a guy on Boy Meets World named Gingus? No, no, it was Minkus. Minkus. Well, that was Dingus. <laughs> That's how I'm saying it in my mind. Now, from now here on out, he shall be known as Dingus. Dingus. His brother Frank loving it so much that he refers to Jesse as Dingus for the rest of his life. That's funny because, I mean, I used to remember the, calling people Dinguses. It's apparently some type of Southern cuss word. Oh, really? That's funny. Or apparently the first name, the first word that pops into your head after your index finger and shit off. Outside of Archie Clement, Jesse also meets notorious general, generals in quotes, Bloody Bill Anderson. I mean, we gotta, we gotta rate that nickname. Um, I'm gonna say he must have been, a, I don't know him that well, but he must have been a very bad, bad person. To get the name Bloody. In the Civil War. Um, so just because I know he's a bad guy, because he's also on the South, I'm going to say zero. S- screw Bloody Bill. You tell him. I do think it's a strong nickname, though. Oh, no, yeah, it's a strong nickname, but I mean. You can't endure. He's a bad person, so pff, you don't get ranked. <laughs> you show him. <laughs> I showed him. Yeah. If he's listening, mm, mm, mm. Mm, let me tell you, ghost of Bloody Bill. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Please don't do it. Don't hurt me. Uh, Bloody Bill's origin story began when his sister is killed by Union sympathizers. And he goes up straight psychotic in his fighting. Scalping was a trademark. You could walk up to a victim and see a note pinned on the body. You had come to hunt bushwhackers, and now you were scalped. William Anderson. Frank and Jesse James see Bill Anderson as a sort of role model. As you do when you see a family member tortured by Union forces. Since they both have that same story, they bond. They're soon riding on the same party. Jesse would come to watch Bloody Bill torture a man by cutting off his ears and then shooting him in the head. Jesse is thrilled at the sight and would excitedly tell their mother when they came back home. Zerelda, his mother, is said to have been equally pleased to hear the story. Jesus. Different time, different time. Yeah, we'll have a discussion on him. (laughs) While out on the trail... One day, Jesse sees a saddlebag, or a saddle, sitting on the fence of the road, thinking that he needs a new saddle because when you're not part of the main army, you don't tend to get army equipment. Not saying that the equipment for the Confederates was uh, top dollar by any means, but so he sees a sense and he just wants it because that's how he's going to supply himself. He jumps off a source to take it but he doesn't notice the owner of the saddle is watching nearby. As Jesse reaches for the saddle, he hears a pop and a bullet plunges through his chest. It enters underneath his right pec, possibly ricocheting off of his ribs and missing vital organs, and the ball clears through. The doctor is not able to do much, and he simply just has to clean the wound and then leaves Jesse. They take Jesse to a nearby sympathizer, where Jesse was, quote, in such intense pain, he wishes that the Federals would come and catch him. Jeez. Bloody Bill is said to have been watching and had, quote, great tears down his cheek. His breast heaves and his body shook. Probably tears of blood. 
Right. <laughs> well, I mean, dang, he got so, Jesse got so lucky that it even cleared back then because those what little uh, like musket balls. Or well, no, yeah. by that that at that time, no, it wasn't. <laughs> they would have had something better, right? Yep. Um. Again, I'm not much of a gun guy, but yes, they would have had. But like, actually, the ball clearing probably saved him more than anything because a lot of the time they get lodged in there and they get infection. So, yeah. Sounds like he was lucky, though, to get shot underneath the pack. And then bloody, bloody Bill. Pfft, crying. crying over him. Yeah, right. Violent tears of blood. <laughs> All right. Jesse recovers enough by September 1864 that he's riding with Bloody Bill again. On September 27th, roughly 80 bushwhackers stop in the rain outside of Centralia, Missouri. They demand a volunteer from the from a train of Union soldiers. Sergeant Thomas M. Goodman stepped forward, accepting that this was likely his execution. However, he was actually volunteering to be the sole survivor. I knew what I was going to say. He, actually, he was the only one that lived, wasn't he? They shot 22 unarmed Union soldiers who did not volunteer and also set the train on fire. The bushwhackers then start to loot what they can. Goodman, now realizing his volunteer to be the sole survivor, is held captive for 10 days. Later that same day, another incoming train comes into town. The bushwhackers open fire on it, stop it, and rob the train. Bill ordered the passengers, again, civilians, out uh, on one side of the train, and soldiers lined up on the other. When two soldiers hesitated, Bill killed them both, and Bill demanded that soldiers stripped, and he informed them that six of his soldiers were killed and scalped by federal troops, and from here on out, he would offer no quarter as if he was going to offer it anyway. Just then, you could hear the clicking of all the bushwhackers' pistols. They shot the men, robbed the passengers, and rode off into the woods. They didn't kill the, they didn't kill the civilians, though? I don't believe so. They just robbed them. Okay. Yeah, I think it would have been a bigger deal. They would have definitely said that they killed civilians. I mean, this is, this is known as the Centralia Massacre. So... <laughs> ton of people died. Yeah, they did. Uh, later that same day, we're still on the same day because this day doesn't end. At 3 o'clock, Un- Union Major Andrew Johnson, not that one, not future President Andrew Johnson, and uh, 146 men ride into Centralia. The townspeople said what happened, and they set out to go after the bushwhackers. During the chase, Johnson rides on his horse. The men on bareback were easy targets. Jesse takes aim at Johnson, fires, and hits Johnson, who falls off his horse. Jesse then runs up to Johnson and shoots him in the head. In this route, 146 men enter the woods. 123 are killed. What? The bushwhackers took out that many? One soldier ran up to the bushwhackers and begged, I always spare prisoners. And he is met with the reply... I never do. Oh no! How many? How many bushwhackers died? Ah, uh, not many. I didn't actually write down how many died. Not many, because once you get them into the like, once you get them into the woods, that's, that's their that's their territory. Yep. You'll be happy to know 
that Bloody Bill is killed in an ambush by Union troops sometime later. A few days later, after Anderson is killed, they ride back to Clay County, where they take the revenge. Again, the bushwhackers take up their revenge on Union sympathizers and disguise themselves as Union troops. So it seems like every time one of them dies or like a, a, a leader of them dies, they go and just take it out on like sympathizers or just like random anyone, right? Random civilians. Yeah. If we're, if we're being honest, they're just going after, they were going to do it anyway. Right. They just have their rallying cry. Right. They were a hyper violent group in a war known for its hyper violence. Which is crazy to say that they were more violent. Right. Not saying that the Union was any better, because again, Jesse's origin story starts off with Union troops torturing him right. for information on their 18-year-old son, essentially, for a small band of bushwhackers. So uh, keep in mind the, the detail that they disguise themselves as Union troops. That comes up quite a bit later. So when the bushwhackers knock on the, their door, the bushwhackers simply open up fire as soon as the door opens. Once the Union starts entering the country, because again, we're getting near the end of the Civil War, after Bloody Bill dies, they do on this last one killing spree and then ride south. Jesse likely rides for Texas for the duration of the war. But it's a funny thing about guerrilla fighters who are not officially associated with the main army. They don't really seem to care if one side surrenders. Approximately a month after Appomattox, the Bushwhackers refused to believe in the, quote, damn Yankee lie. Jesse and Frank was briefly to Texas and they head back north. After a few warm-up murders in Holden, Missouri, they dress up in clan hoods. Yes, those clan hoods. And ride towards Kingsville. About 30 of them set fire to a building and kill men and boys as they are waking up from the attack. And that's Jesse included? Jesse himself putting four bullets in the postmaster where they ride into town over the next where 15 more men and boys are murdered. After Appomattox, the war is over. And they don't care. Competent that murdering boys prove something, they set their sights on the town of Lexington, where they send letters to the commanders saying, quote, Sir, this is to notify you that I will be give you until Friday, May 11th, 1865, to surrender the town of Lexington. If you surrender, you will be taken prisoner of war. If we are taking it by storm, we will burn it to the ground, kill all the soldiers, we have a force and are determined to have it. Your obedient servant, A. Clement. The Union soldiers don't buy that they're just going to give up the town and be unharmed. Plus, the war is literally over. Why? And you lost. Why are we surrendering anything? Since the end of the war, more and more bushwhackers are surrendering each day with no punishment. The only ones who are left are a few band of the extremists. So again, the extremist group has its own extreme small band, and those are the standing survivor. Jesse is one of them. 
but they kind of see the game is up as the union not buying that they're going to attack the fort or the town start blocking off cross points on the Missouri River. Forced to look for another crossing, Jesse and his party ride under a white flag of truce. When they run into a small group of Federals, they begin to open fire. So keep in mind, Jesse is riding under a white flag. Would you believe this particular group on whatever flag they're carrying means anything? Yeah, it means to not surrender. Yeah, that's a theory. In fact, the soldiers believe you too, because Jesse catches a bullet on the right side of the chest. And similar to the previous wound, he tumbles out of his salad. The horse also fell on top of him. Jesse manages to pull himself clear and to run for cover after being chased by the soldiers. Turning to the fire, he killed one soldier uh, that was that was gaining on him. Jesse is unable to escape. He then takes off his boot when he is able to stop, which is now full of blood from the wound in his chest. He collapses at the edge of a stream. Jesse then claimed that he sped next to the shore all night, cleaning the wound with the stream's water and is able to make it to a field where he then again collapsed and was rescued the next day. Facing another option for the bushwhackers to take Jesse to Lexington for medical care, where he then surrenders and Jesse is then forced to give his oath of allegiance to the Union. Thinking the wound may be mortal, Jesse's mother, Zerelda, is actually caught, brought to his side, where Jesse tells her, I don't want to die here in what is a northern state. And then he is taken to his first cousin. Uh, nicknamed Z, but is named after Jesse's mother, Zerelda. Keep in mind, his first cousin, Z, she comes back later. Takes him over to recover. Even after recovery, it takes over a year for the wound to stop bleeding. What? Like, to randomly stop bleeding. So right, like, I mean, it, it's not like it just sat there oozing blood for a year no. straight, just blah, blah, blah. But it would be one of those things where you'd be wearing like a shirt and all of a sudden you'd look down and had, there'd be like a little spot of blood and you'd be like, Oh shoot. It messed with him for quite a well, long time. It was a chest wound. So, I mean, really. Was. And I mean, if he like walked a lot, cleaned it with the stream, what got, who knows how long he was out there either. Right. Again, how is he so lucky? This is the second time this has happened. Shot in the chest twice. I, I remember doing a report on uh, the Civil War, and it's like, yeah, if you got shot like in the arm or the leg, yep, they're just walking by, slicing your arm off, slicing your leg off, nothing. Right. Like, you, you, you're basically dead because the wound is yep. like, it, it wasn't the clean bullet holes that you normally would see nowadays, even though, I mean, obviously there's different types of ammunition, right. but um. That's just crazy that he was able to survive twice in getting shot in the abdomen, no less. Twice. Chest, but yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, abdomen. Yeah, Yeah, it'd be lower. I think where he gets lucky is I don't, I think both, like both shells left, like exited. Right. Because, like you said, it would have got infected and and they were lead, right? So, I mean, I believe so. Yeah. Again, I'm not a gun guy. I know that's weird. Yeah, you, you gun people. I God bless your hearts and your amount of detail, but you, you can let me know on that. So while Jesse is recovering from his wound, 
we should probably take a time out and let him heal and also talk about the new reality for the South. All but a few battles were fought on Southern territory. A literal generation of men had been fought out, had been killed from the fighting. Farms destroyed, fields burned, railroads that were built, that were built, were destroyed. It was damaging. It was destructive in the South. And according to noted Civil War historian Shelby Foote, if you were a Union soldier and you would have asked a Confederate soldier why he was fighting, the Confederate would have answered, it's because you were down here. The soldiers are farmers. They're everyday citizens. Most of them did not own any slaves. Southerners after the Civil War viewed themselves as victims of Northern oppression during Reconstruction. After the war, federal troops were stationed to help keep the, uh, the violence rising up to a minimum. The Southern hierarchy is now forced to change. New state constitutions are drawn up and are now even giving former slaves, gasp, the right to vote. <gasps> Shocking. Not the right to vote. Most Southerners are not ready or willing to see this change. After losing the Civil War, the former Confederate states need a hero. And there is no better hero than a young boy who had seen his family attacked by Union soldiers, shot twice, and is now making a full recovery. Frank and Jesse team up with a group of brothers they originally met during their bushwhacking days. They would become now, Norm, and they would form, with their wonder twin powers, the evil group of the James Younger Gang. The James Younger Gang is a mighty righty group from the South. I heard that song before. Johnny Cash or something. That's a real song? (laughs) (laughs) I just made it up. You had me going. Uh, The game consisted of Frank... Jesse James, and a rotating group of the younger brothers, Jim, John, Bob, and Cole. A robbery in Clay County Savings Association in 1866. Two men dressed in blue Union jackets. Sound familiar? Yep. They enter a bank asking the cashier for a bank note when the cashier notices that there's a revolver in the man's hand. Rather than ask if that was a revolver in his pocket or if he he was just happy to see him, the cashier asked to put his hands up. The other man, pointing a gun at the bank owner, asked for all the bank's money. They handed over the cashier with a sack to fill. Once the bag was full, the robbers locked the two men in the vault and left. The men go go straight Yosemite Sam and start shooting their pistols in the air as if they don't care, and then shoot a man dead. The posse track, uh, posse tracks, but ultimately they're not able to find them. But a couple days later, they are able to pick up the tracks, and it goes back to a known bushwhacker's favorite spot. This is known as the first classic bank robbery, and this is now known as the first classic bank robbery that we recognize. And it is not known if it was Frank and Jesse James, and it likely wasn't. 
but after their legend grows, Jesse is given credit for this bank robbery, which is what the robbers get away with $57,000. Holy crap. Back then, that is insane. Team 66 money. In fact, Jesse starts wearing new clothes suspiciously after the heist, but you can't really prove it was him. Four men roll in and still in uh, another robbery. Four men stole $2,000 from a bank in Lexington. In Richmond, robbers stole 4000 and killed three townspeople during their escape. Thieves in Rustville, Kentucky, got away with an estimated 12000 So again, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting that um, the very first quote-unquote bank robbery that we know of was like the biggest sum. Everything after that was like 2000 4000 12000 but the first one was 57 Isn't that retiring money? That's pretty big. Oh, well, except for you got to do Oh, well, yeah, and if they had eight, nine members or whatever. But still, having like, what, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 each is insane. It's really good. If I remember, I remember reading somewhere, and I can't remember the time period, but I want to say ten thousand dollars got you a pretty good sized ranch. I can't remember the time period. I think that was around this time. That might have also been Tecumseh's episode. I can't remember. But yes, walking away with that much money, it makes a difference. In 1869, the first major robbery we can finally put the James Brothers gang name on is confirmed as Jesse's role as a bank robber. On December 7th, 1869, Frank and Jesse entered the Davies County Savings Bank. Jesse walked up to the cashier with a $100 bill. And then he thought he recognized the cashier. And he thought that the man was actually the one who killed Bloody Bill Anderson. Oh, no. Three guesses what Jesse does next. I was going to say, so needless to say, uh, the bank teller is dead. Oh, he dead. He dead in the head. I'm sure Jesse just, what, pulled out a gun and just shot him point blank without even doing anything? The gun was already out, but yes. Oh, yeah. Jesse, his brother Frank, probably wondering, like, what the, man? We want the, what? what's going on? They now have to scramble. Frank and Jesse gather up what they could and escape the bank. One downside of randomly shooting a man, thinking that he killed your friend, is that townspeople tend to gather outside. And as Frank and Jesse begin to run away under gunfire, Jesse got one foot in the stirrup, and the horse gave him a big old nope and started running without Jesse. Well, most of Jesse, as his foot was stuck in the stirrup. When he is able to break free, Frank scooped up Jesse and rode, a, rode onto his horse, and the two made their escape. Identified by their horse, Frank and Jesse are allowed are followed back to their mother's ranch, Zerelda. To Zerelda, their mother's ranch. As their mother stalled for time, Frank and Jesse came barreling out of the barn on horseback, jumped the fence, and escaped. That's the movie stuff. And surprisingly, it wasn't in the movie that I saw. Uh, Jesse James will pick. I'll tell you when that story actually picks up. In Croydon, Iowa, this story actually has two separate sources. So I'm trying to piece these together on what happened. So uh, it's kind of difficult to tell. 
In June 1871, they hit up a bank in Croydon, Iowa, during a speech giving, being given by Henry Clay Dean. Most of the town people are drawn to listen to their speech. The robbers steal nearly $6,000. The bandits went to the church and, quote, shook the stolen money at the crowd. So they robbed the bank right into the crowd, probably wondering why they weren't getting more attention on them. They ride into the crowd and just shake their money they're stealing from them. When a ticket taker in the crowd tried to get a hold of the money, one of the robbers shot at him. A stray bullet accidentally hit a girl and a young girl in the leg. The crowd's reaction was summed up a couple days later by a witness. Quote, what they did, we condemn. But the way they did it, we cannot help admiring. Thus, a legend is born. Yeah. I mean, that's how legends yeah. are born, right? Right. Just being in awe. I, it's a bold move. To rob a bank, consider you not getting enough attention. So you ride out into the crowd to get more attention and they don't do anything. Look at us! Well, I mean, <laughs> almost like they did, you know, Yosemite Sam style. It's like they want people to notice them. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what they want, actually. So now they want to stop robbing banks. Not stop. They want to switch their attention onto trains. You want to switch to trains because a lot more money is being transported on them as railroads, who are kind of king at this moment, have money traveling in between, uh, between the borders. Whereas a bank... You are literally stealing people's money from their savings. When you're robbing a train, you can scout. You know exactly where that train is coming from, when it's going to be. And if you happen to find a remote area that isn't able to telegraph, you have all the time in the world to do what you will. And who knows how much money is on each car? Oh, let me tell you in a minute. <sighs> Sometimes Jesse and the gang would enter the train and ask, who here fought in the Civil War? I don't like where this is going. Other times they would ask, who here is the son of a preacher? Who here is a widow of Civil War soldiers? And as the hands went up, they moved on to the next person. They did not rob them. Mm-hmm. Which is brilliant if you want to get people to go on your side. Right. They only care about the bad guys or whatever. They're trying to make themselves Robin Hood. Right. Jesse himself would make jokes as they robbed. July 21st, 1873. The Chicago Rock Island train is stopped by a gang of hooded men. The James gang uh, dislocated the rails, which caused not only the train to stop, but some cars actually flip over. Jesse jumped up to the express car and took o- and took off his disguise, which I really have to wonder: Why are you wearing disguises in the first if you're place? Just take it off, right? Like, why? Why are you even? What is the point? Right. They demand that the safe be opened. Once opened, he finds only twenty five hundred dollars. It's piddly. The rail. The railroad 
had just unloaded a massive amount of cash a couple days before that, that Jesse was expecting to take. When asked for the rest of the railroad employees, when asked for the rest of it, the the railway employee said, well, that's it. Except for that, as he shrugs over to the right, because the train is actually carrying over three tons of gold and silver. (laughs) Oh, three tons? Three tons of gold. I mean, you can't even take it. Like, you can't even take it all. Correct. (laughs) That's actually the next point. I'm only assuming the money awed it awed at them, but those bars are not light. You only have horses running, like running with them. So you have a generation's amount of money and you can't take a whole lot of it. They take what they can, but then they leave most of the money and they get in their getaway disguise In case you're wondering, Klansman's robes, January 31st, 1874, the Iron Mountain Railroad at Gads Hill. First, they rob everyone in town, including the newsboy selling dime novels. When the train they intended to to rob arrives, they board. The safe doesn't have a lot of money in it, so they go to the passengers and ask up to see their hands. And if they were calloused, they'd move on to the next person. If their hands were soft, they were mugged. As they are robbing, they suspect a man is actually a Pinkerton detective agent. Uh Uh-oh. The man denies it, but they hear that the agent has an identifying tattoo on the back of his neck, JWW. Remember those initials for just a little bit. Hey, real quick. Uh, I know you just made the point already, but um, I just uh, I just really quick looked it up. An average gold bar weighed about twenty seven and a half pounds. So one gold bar. So, yeah. I yeah. Not three tons of it. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, you said J.W.W. J.W.W. Okay. They asked the man they suspected off the train, and they literally stripped him naked looking for the tattoo. Luckily, he doesn't have the tattoo, but unluckily, they leave him on the side of the uh, side of the train. Not sure if he's able to get back on, or if they gave him his clothes back or whatever. But I was just gonna say, I hope they gave the man his clothes back. Just hope it wasn't cold outside. I can just see like a dude with a cowboy hat, you know, just standing there, like, please hurry. Is that like the naked cowboy in New York? Yeah. (laughs) That's where he got it from. There was just a bunch of Google searches right now when we said that. The who? Be careful how you Google that, everyone. Uh, The robbers left with $6,000 and there was only about 25 passengers on the train. Uh, One member of the gang actually leaves behind a telegram. As in, Jesse left a a uh, telegram for the newspapers for the next day detailing the robbery. Exactly what happened? Yep. <sighs> Man, they do love themselves, don't they? Oh, they do. <laughs> big boys. Big fanboys of themselves. Posters of themselves on their wall. Outside of his gang, 
was a Southern sympathizer and newspaper man named John Newman Edwards. I don't remember seeing any evidence that they actually met, but there is definitely a correspondence between the two. Edwards was able to cite details on robberies done by the James gang suspiciously fast after the robberies happened. This is why it's believed Jesse may have been done, may have actually done the robbery in Croydon, as one of Edwards' article came out soon after the robbery. That makes sense, though. Get, like, you, you love yourself, so what better way to give all the details to the reporters and find someone that's willing to get all the details beforehand so it's all in all the papers like as as fast as humanly possible and especially if you want public support and you're a southerner in the middle of reconstruction you're going to want a strong southerner newspaper men to tell you why you're the greatest thing ever and why they shouldn't stop you when you're robbing now did they really ask people now did they really care if people's hands were calloused, if they were going to mug them or not? No, but it sounds real nice. Did they care who was actually a preacher's son or who actually yep. won the Civil War? Like you said, they were trying to make public opinion of them. Correct. In a positive way. Correct. During Edward's uh, stories, he would claim that the robbers would give all their money away to the poor and that the railway officials stole more money from everyday citizens more than the robbers could ever think of taking. The gang would never fire their guns unless it was for defense. Oh, uh, yeah, just just forget about the many, many, many people they just randomly killed for no reason. No, 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 we're, we're not going to report on that. It's in defense. Jesse would even have supposedly penned some of the letters published in Edwards' newspapers. They were likely edited, if not outright wrote out by Edwards, as they become blatantly political. One letter blames President Grant on why Jesse James needs to keep his life as outlawry. But maybe if a candidate, like rival Horace Greeley, were to win the next election, maybe Jesse wouldn't need to rob as many people as he does. Oh, man. They're turning the the news. A story comes out. So, of one of these legends, here is a sample. A story comes out that when the gang is taken in by a widow on their travels, at the breakfast table, one of the men notices that the widow was crying, and they ask what is going on. She says that the bank is about to foreclose on the house for the, uh, at later that day. Being a group of young Southern gentlemen, they ask how much is owed, and that $500 was needed to avoid the foreclosure. They pay the widow and leave. The banker comes out and is astonished that the widow has the money. He takes the money, writes her the receipt, starts heading back into town where he gets about a mile down the road when a group of men with guns are pointing at him and they rob him. Convenient. How convenient. (laughs) That's even funnier that they're like, Ma'am, we got you. We'll take care of you. And then they just get the money back. That's right away. Now, that probably didn't happen, but those are the type of stories. And also, it's a fun story. I mean, 
Jesse isn't exactly endearing himself right now, but that's a fun story. Uh, perhaps Jesse could get away with so many bank robberies because he was told that he only robbed the Southern banks because they were insured by the federal government. So this is before your savings or your deposits were saved in your personal account. If that bank got robbed, you were literally robbing people's money. There was no returning back. But if they believed they were just taking the federal government's money, there's less uh, reason to go after them. It's not true, but the population believed it. Now we go to the Pinkertons. The Pinkertons are a really strong private investigation agency. It is literally where the term private eye comes from. They were an independent law enforcement, kind of, uh, but they could go in between state lines. If you hired them, there was a good chance you were going to get your man. The most famous example of someone who used them for protection was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. How well did that work out for him? (laughs) (laughs) Now, they were very good. But yeah, Alan Pinkerton is probably going to get his own episode, so we'll go more into him. But the man had an ego. We're going to find out. Newspaper headlines were the only attention the gang was having as they caught the eye of Alan Pinkerton. In 1879, so just a little bit farther than this, Pinkerton would describe Jesse as, quote, I consider Jesse James the worst man without exception in America. He is utterly devoid of fear and has no more capitulation for a cold-blooded murder than he is about eating his breakfast. Do you remember JWW? Yes, I sure do. J-dubs, as I call him now. The first Pinkerton up was a man named Joseph W. Witcher, which was given the task of hunting down members of the Jane's Younger Gang. Within minutes of stepping off the train, he switches into a farm laborer's clothing. He then almost seems like he wants everyone to know he's an outsider. He goes down around town asking questions and even visiting Register of Deeds continually asking where the sheriff is. He registers as J.W. Witcher, comma, Mississippi. He heads straight down to the sheriff's office where he identifies himself as a Pinkerton agent. He then asks questions as, where is Zerelda's farm? The sheriff warns him that, this is really stupid. Are you really just going to march in there in farmer's clothes and think you're going to fool them. Like, seriously, give this a think for a minute. Butcher pays no attention to the sheriff, while just keep asking for more details. So he takes a quick train ride over to the next town over, telegraphs the office back. He then heads out to the farmhouse at about 7.15, and you can almost set the scene as you can almost hear him knock on the door and say, Hello, sir and madam. My name is J.W. Witcher, and I am from Mississippi. I hear you are looking for labor and farm work on your harm, and because of the Yankees, I believe you are shorthanded. Do you have any work for me? I will work for free. For 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 free? You you are you are you sure? Are, are you sure you're who you say you are? 
Absolutely. I, I, I'm kind of thinking you're not, sir. Sir, I am a common southerner. Do you not see me chewing on this single grain of straw? I am just like a southerner like yourselves. Do you not believe me? Come on now, we surely have work to do. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go get my brother. I, I don't think so. Hello, sir. Sir, I'm still looking for work out here. Is there any work? Sir? Sir, I'm still looking for work. Will you not accept me? Sir? Uh, yeah, yeah. C- come on in. Oh, wonderful. You will not regret this at all. He enters the farmhouse at 5.15 p.m. By 3 o'clock that morning, the next morning, the only thing he can do as he is tied up to a chair, the only thing he can hear and say is, (laughs) And all he can hear is that Jesse and Frank are asking for a ferryman to bring him over to the other side of the river. You will be surprised to hear that Witcher is found the next day next to the road with three new holes in his in his body. Uh, I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say you would be surprised to know he's alive. Nope. In fact, he was according to one source, he was found with a note saying this to all detectives. Oof. Yeah, so they're they're basically saying never going to happen. Good luck. Other attempts to infiltrate the James gang fail. One agent is found dead quickly after a single bullet to the head not far from Zerelda's farm. The sheriff of the county may have even tipped off the men of the gang. I was going to say, do you think they had like insiders in the town? Absolutely. Because again, it's the southern idea that they're victims. So any northerner coming in, and especially like because they're heroes, they're southern heroes right now. Right, they uh, the newspapers and everything have made them out to be right. They're not bad. They're continuing the southern fight for the every right. man. Right. Another Pinkerton agent sitting down with one of the uh, the younger brothers uh, after a tense dinner. Guns are drawn. The agent is able to take two shots, and after hitting one of the younger brothers in the throat, before he himself takes a shotgun blast to the arm and a pistol shot to the side. All three men die. The Pinkertons, nor the Jameses, will stand down from each other. Including, Jesse gets married at this time. Isn't that exciting? You want to know to who? Who? His first cousin. Do you want to know her name? What's her name? Zerelda. Oh, the other Z. What's his mother's name? Zerelda. What's his now wife's name? Zerelda. That's creepy as hell. <laughs> I mean, it's also his first cousin, so I think that's a little bit more creepy. Oh, it's both bad. The first cousin adding on top that she's named for his mother. Mom, I just love you so much. Oh, God. Anyway, they're married. They're They're happy. It's gross, but they're happy. Who am I to judge? But it's gross. The couple have four children, two including survived to adulthood. Jesse Jr. would write a book that is actually available on internetarchives.org for anyone who would like to read it. 
uh, the Pinkertons actually show up to the wedding and attempt to arrest Jesse. Jesse is able to escape uh, and long enough to return and to finish his uh, wedding vows. Should be said that sources do conflict. Uh, a lot of them just believe that it was a false alarm. The Pinkertons weren't actually there because Jesse, you could almost call it a paranoia that the Pinkertons were after him, but I don't think it's really paranoia because the Pinkertons were after him. So he was suspicious of everyone. But regardless, as Jesse is running around his yard trying to marry his first cousin, just imagine the Benny Hill theme song montage running around. No, I don't know. It's not. I just made it. No, I know it's not. I know it's not. Oh, you'll. That's the, that's that's the that's the the song I heard. You know, in movies, it's like the right. fast track where they fast forward everything, and you just see. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So out back to Alan to Pink Alan Pinkerton, he's a prideful man, and he has had enough. He is tired of looking stupid from this country bumpkin known as Frank and Jesse James. He writes a letter and says, quote, I know the Jameses and the Youngers are desperate men, and that when we meet, it must be to the death, one or both of us, for the one or the both of us. He wrote to George H. Brings, uh, superintendent of the New York office on April 7th, my blood is spilt and they must repay. There is no use talking. They must die. And he gives very specific orders on what happens next. On January 1875, shortly after midnight, a gang of Pinkertons tossed a flaming ball into Zerelda and Reuben's farmhouse and start the building on fire. It is an attempt to flush Jesse and Frank outside. Reuben, Jesse's stepfather, threw the flammable covering, uh, threw the flammable ball inside the fire. Not realizing what they just placed was incendiary. Oh no. The family stood around the fireplace, including Jesse's nine-year-old stepbrother, Archie. The ball exploded. Reuben is hit in the head by his minder. Zerelda's arm is blown off. Then they realize Archie was also hit. Pieces of shrapnel tearing through the pieces of his lower abdomen. Where Archie dies the next day, saying, quote, tell my mama I'm better, uh, were his last words. Jesse and Frank were not even in the house. But I, I can promise you they are going to meet them real quick. For any Missourian who may have been on the fence on the James gang as being a bunch of ruthless murderers or gentlemen outlaw, uh, the murder of your kid brother sure helps out in making them decide making them decide aside. The Missouri legislature attempts to pass a bill that would actually give the James brother complete amnesty for their complete for their prior crimes, saying that the men were quote too brave to be mean. The state legislature using this moment not only for sorrow for the family, but also using it to continue their narrative that Jesse and the other Missourians have been victim of the radical Republicans up north the overthrow of the Southern way of life and presence of the federal troops in the South and their policies. 
don't think of this as necessarily the federal level, as that does play a part into it, but instead think of like the state house that was passing these radical policies of treating black people like people. In the aftermath, Frank shoots a neighbor three times in the head because apparently one bullet doesn't do the trick because he was suspected of being a Pinkerton. Jesse becomes ever more paranoid, accusing multiple others of being Pinkertons and is close to shooting them until they prove otherwise. Jesse becomes more internal with his thoughts during this time. Thinking it was a good time to leave Missouri, Jesse moves his family to Nashville, Tennessee for a very short time. And because of the benefit of not having Facebook or Twitter, Jesse is able to take an alias and live free peacefully for a time. Jesse does need to support his family and not having the skills you can put on a resume. He has to basically return to his outlaw life or he does so in the spring or in the middle of 1876. His brothers are back in Missouri uh, as they rob a train nearing Rock Cut, Missouri. During the heist, they make out with $15,000. No frightened passengers were robbed, and they joked with the others, and they calmly left. Days after the raid, however, one man who is new to the group is arrested, and it is soon confirmed in the papers that he confessed and gave up very vital information on the James gang. Uh-oh. You know what happens to snitches. Yes. <laughs> so maybe thinking it's a little bit too hot in the South. Believing Northern banks held more money, and it really doesn't hurt to rob a Yankee state, they travel to Northfield, Minnesota. The bank was picked specifically because of a Civil War rival, Aldebert Ames. The men stuck out as they entered the town. Their horses were too fancy. They walked too boldly, which is just a hint of classic Midwestern judgment. The James gang also were being too flashy with horse dealers as they have a then what seemed unbelievable amount of money carrying a mountain, huge bags of cash, asking a lot of questions. Maybe like, how big is the bank vault? What time do they open? Those type of things, making it very obvious they wanted to bank. They wanted to rob the bank. Maybe signals that they were phoning this one in, uh, as there was a, a thought in the Civil War for the Confederates that it would take ten Yankees to take on one Confederate soldier. They might have been phoning this one in. And after drinking quote too much wine, the gang rides into the first national bank and determined and demanded that the safe be open. The employees refused. The bank had just installed a time lock system and cannot be open, they told the robbers. The robbers not realizing that the vault door was already open. Another employee shut the vault door closed. Another employee tried to take a gun from a gang member. Another member tried to trap a man inside the bank itself. One employee fled the bank, taking a bullet to the shoulder. In other words, they're fighting back. They're not just accepting that they're going to take it. One gang member outside the bank was now getting worried as an angry group of townspeople who are now gathering outside. Using a strategy the bushwhackers use commonly and the Yosemite Sam shoot your guns in the air and make loud noises, hoping they would go away and scatter, actually has the opposite effect. 
in what I can only describe. This is- Minnesota, eh? <laughs> the townspeople, instead of kicking them down a hole, they throw stones at the lookouts. Once the townspeople start shooting and killing members of the gang, Cole Runger, Cole Younger rides up to the bank door screaming, the game is up. Better grid out, boys. They're killing all the men. In frustration, Jesse turns around and shot the bank employee in the head. The bank employee, by the way, had been arguing with Jesse, just stalling for time as this is going outside. He is probably the reason they did not get away with all of the money. The gang flees, not realizing just how stubborn and angry Midwesterners can actually be. They chase them outside of town. For two weeks, the gang flees. At one point, a shootout, not with Jesse and Frank. The members are outnumbered 1,000 to three. Jeez. Minnesota ain't having none of your stuff. It's like all of Minnesota at this point. No fear. The younger brothers survive, but they are taken and given trials for 20-year sentences. Frank and Jesse are able to escape, but as far as big raids are concerned, those days are over. We're now entering the 1780s. Uh, Frank retires and is happy to remain anonymous. Jesse, however, is not able to cope as well. Jesse, at this point, is one of the most famous names in the country. But he is unable to tell his children who he was, who he really was. He had to stand down to arguments. He gambled and drank heavily. Uh, He took a name, an alias of Thomas Howard. For those of you who have seen or read the movie, or seen the movie, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which is based off the book by Ron Hansen, this story should become a little bit more familiar from here on out, as this is where the movie actually picks up. Jesse starts a new gang, and they rob a train in October 1879 near Independence, Missouri, expecting to find over $380,000. The men walk away with just over 6000 Two years later in Gallatin, two gang members killed two unarmed men for $700. The men now start turning on the new gang. And according to J. Dennis Robinson, a recent change in the government meant that Jesse was no longer seen as a political rebel. He was now a middle-aged criminal, a rebel without a cause. So his old gang is knocked out after the Northfield raid, either in jail, dead, or Frank retires. So Jesse has to recruit a new band of men. And they are not good or... They are not as good. The Clearly school, not as good. They're not as good. And also like there's only so many times trains will have that much money or technology improves or they just get better at defending. So like the days of the easy score are kind of over for Jesse. He just doesn't seem to realize it. Right. Yet. And like you said, the what the political or the government kind of changed. So now he's not seen as like a hero to people anymore. He's just kind of seen as like a did your right a, a robber, man. I mean, I'm sorry. It's what you've been. Right. 
Well, and also that like we're also so the war civil war ended in eighteen sixty five. We're entering eighteen eighty, so we're getting fifteen years past. Um, not that that's definitely not a long amount of time, but um, the Southern cause isn't as strong as it was just after the war. After moving the family around, they settle in St. Joseph, Missouri, but the world is closing in. Uh, Robinson, the author of, uh, I just quoted, suggests that James was frustrated that other people were making money off of his name in dime novels and books, but none of it was actually given to Jesse. Members of the new gang are being arrested. Jesse killed a member his older, uh, because his older brother was taken to jail. The unfortunately named Dick Little and Robert Ford kill Wood Height, which is actually Jesse's cousin. That is in the movie for anyone who's trying to remember that. Little turned himself into the law instead of risking to see what Jesse would do. Robert Ford made a deal with the authorities on how to get Jesse. One morning, sitting down for breakfast with Jesse, Robert Ford trying to hide a newspaper article that proved Dick Little's treachery. Jesse read the article and blamed the Ford brothers for not know, for knowing this all along. So in case I didn't make that clear, Jesse sees an article after Dick Little set, gives himself up. He's eating breakfast with Robert Ford, and Jesse accuses them of knowing that Little had given up his name. Uh, a couple months before. Right. So at this point, he knows that his gang is turning on him. It's over. It's, yeah. he, I think he probably, if he didn't know it before, he knows it. Quote, suddenly Jesse James reached towards his gun and the Fords froze. But Jesse simply unbuckled his heavy belt and tossed his guns on the bed. Then he stood up on a chair, calmly turned his back on the two brothers and began dusting off the frame around the sign hanging on the wall. At the click of a cocked pistol, Jesse turned around instinctively, but in that instant, Bob Ford fired from about four feet away. The gang leader's head flew up against the wall from the impact of the bullet and struck above his left, above his ear. The most wanted man outlaw in America tumbled dead to the floor. He wasn't even going to do anything. Uh, no. But if you were Robert Ford and... You're not taking any chances. No. And also, we'll go into it in the death bonus round. How about that? Did it happen like that in the movie? Yes. Oh, okay. It's actually, the movie is surprisingly accurate. Is, 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 to the book. Yeah. Well, the book is um, history. Oh, it's uh, nonfiction? Yes, it's nonfiction. So. Okay. Yeah. So, the rounds. Let's get into it. Are you satisfied? This is our biography round, where Matt and I are going to be handing out points from negative 10 to positive 10 based on if we liked their story. Well, there's a lot <laughs> to unpack here. Isn't this dude, let me tell you. You know, I knew he was, I knew he was big. 
but holy crap, was he pretty big. I mean, they were looking for him for years. 15 years? I think he, well, when does he die? Oh, I, I had this. The, 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 honestly, it's so funny because Hollywood does this. Um, I remember, I mean, the movie about him, American Outlaws, I mentioned it a couple of times. It's so funny because they do this thing where they just, you know, they were a part. I, I was remembering, as you were saying, they were a part of the um, Southern Army. But it was like, it made it seem like, like the first scene, they're coming home and they, they like are going through a battle. And then they're like, well, someone better tell the North the war's over, you know? Oh. So it's like, it just turns it into like, a, it's just weird how they change history quite a bit in Hollywood, right? Um, And they also made it seem like he is obviously like the newspapers where like he was a good guy, but he was clearly, clearly a terrible human being. Yeah, um, you can't even like the dude. Yeah, I mean, he did a lot. He has he, his, his, like his story was insane. Um, it had a lot of exciting parts and everything. So obviously it's going to be a pretty high score, but the dude is a bad dude. He is a bad dude. Let me, I agree with everything you just said. Take out. Now we're going to leave out a huge part of his life. We're going to forget. We're going to chop off that he was on the Confederate side. Let's switch him to the Union side even. Attacked by troops. His family is attacked by troops. He joins the war because of that reason. His mentor is killed. He is shot twice. Should have died on either occasion. He then robs bank because he's on that quest for revenge. Or during that revenge, his family gets attacked by an enemy who is being paid to hunt him down, blows off your mother's arm, kills your nine-year-old stepbrother. Dude's a hero. Dude's a hero. It is a lot of Billy the Kid story flipped to the Confederate side and slave owning, except no bank robbery. However... When you say the highlights like that, yes, of course, but then start sprinkling in the little bits. He killed civilians. He killed tons of people. He killed without remorse. He, you know, left. He didn't leave anyone alone. Correct. He was a killer. So take all that, sprinkle that over switching him to the north. He's not a hero. He's the same i think i think so i almost started the episode off in it but i thought it gave too much away but jt styles on his book literally the one of the first lines in that book is if jesse james were born a hundred years later he would be a terrorist yeah as soon as you said that like uh as soon as you said it earlier um where I was like, I, I can't remember what I said, but you were like, you love the modern day terrorist. Like it, it literally like mind blown. Like, yep, that's exactly what they were. The, the bushwhackers were a bunch of freaking terrorists, like extremists. Yep. Maybe they, they ex- were too extreme on the cause so much so that they weren't even a part of the army. Right. That they were fighting with. Right. So, I mean, what, uh, what's, what's the score you're going to give them? 
when I say it's pretty high, I actually mean it's really, really low. Uh, the reason I said if we cut out the Confederate, because I can see if you squint really hard, why people think of him as a beloved figure. It is almost as if, like, do you know that person at work who they're always the victim of everything? They're always complaining. Why every- am I always the one chosen? Why are you always yelling at me? The worst thing you can do to that person is give them a legitimate reason to continue their complaining. <laughs> now, we're oversimplifying Jesse's story for that. But that's how I justify him. He was already clearly a horrible person. And now we're giving him legitimate reasons to continue being a horrible person. I am going, and I'm going, I don't ever talk to you about what your score should be. You need to save your negative 10. I'm telling you right now, you need to save the negative 10. I am going negative nine. I was also honestly going to go negative nine because I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's worse. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Two names I can think of off the top of my head. Three. Bloody, bloody Bill. I don't think he's going to get an episode because he's very Civil War-y. But he would be, um, yeah, he'd be worse than Jesse. I don't know. They're both madmen. You're right. Like, I, so like, I think what's, yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the next one because it's more for the next category. The next category, be sure you are right and then go ahead. This is our morality round where Matt and I are going to be again handing out negative 10 points to positive 10 points apiece. And Matt, how low are we going? I'm going to say negative eight. Now, I'm not going to go, I would not say negative 9 or 10 because I do think the dude was terrible, like I said. Like, it literally changed my mind about Jesse James. Like, you always think Jesse James, oh, he was cool, he was this cool outlaw, blah, 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 blah. No, the dude was terrible. But he did, like, I, I, th- I think he did, didn't do as worse as he could have. It could have been way worse. Way worse. They could have killed all those people. They could have killed all those people on the train. I mean, I know his public, I know his public opinion, or I know that they were just going for public opinion, but he could have said, I don't care. I don't give a crap. And just killed him anyways. I think what's interesting, do we blame his civil war? Mm, I don't want to phrase it that way. How much blame do we want to give Bill Anderson and Archie Clement for his Civil War antics, for essentially training him to be a I think them torturing his stepfather was like the switch that flipped in his brain. So I think he, if he would have got, I think he still would have like killed ruthlessly and all that. But if those people weren't there, maybe not as much. But I still think he would have did done everything he can to just and still killed and done all that. Yep. I agree. I think he is a crash course. If you are a nature versus nurture type person, uh, nurture wins this one. Well, think about it, too. Like, um, 
I can't remember the, I think it was when they brought home money or talked about killing people or something where their mom was like happy. Right. So it's like, you know, that, yeah, I, it just is so fascinating too that his dad was a pastor and a slave owner. Right. So it's like, what happens if he wouldn't have went out to the gold, um, for gold and died, you know, would he have grown up in like, and, you know, I, I didn't bring this up earlier, but like the church kind of turned his back, their back on yeah. the mom and everything too. So I doubt they were like part of the church. So it just would make me believe that they, that didn't have any part of their life. I don't know if you know for sure or not, but, um, so they definitely weren't like God fearing, if you will. So he, probably didn't care one way or the other i do think because like I, i'm not going to blame him for owning slaves because he was a teen like he doesn't uh he can't comprehend that but i do think the the victimization that the south put on itself after the civil war jesse there was a thought in the south well maybe it wasn't a common thought but i've just in sources i've read there was people that believed that even if you were the lowest of low white people well, you were never a slave. So you were always the second rung up. You were never the dirt because the slave was the absolute bottom. And when you take away that slave and now you are basically giving them the same rights, that really angered a lot of poor rural white men in the South. And I don't see why that wouldn't be Jesse. Right. Especially as you're riding away. You know what? For the clans hoods, I'm going 9.5 because I know of one yeah. when that is worse. Uh, I, I was going to say, f- don't forget now, he they dressed up as clansmen multiple occasions. Mm. Which means they, I don't think they, I, I mean, I believe they were against black people. So therefore, yeah, I'm going to change it to a nine. I'm going 10. I think that's perfect. I'm going because I'm fine having two tens on here. I, or, you know what? I'm going to do nine and a half. I just think it's despicable and mm-hmm. he knew what he was doing. Like you could say as a teenager, yada, 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 but no. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of his defenders are, well, he was attacked and blah, blah, blah. Other thing that I said in the first round there's more than one possible outcome of not becoming a mass murdering maniac who right. wants to rob everyone. You're, there's not only uh, sainthood and then mass murder. There's more than one path in there. So yeah, I'm sticking with that. Jesse, you're okay. Next round to hell with the consequences. This is our crazy or clever round. Again, we're going to be handing out points from negative 10 to positive 10 based on if we think they are crazy, which would be negative 10 or clever, positive 10. He Mm. might have, well, no. No, I'm going to say negative. I'm going to say negative eight. I don't think he was full-blown psycho, but he was pretty close. And I think that he was, you said it before, like, pretty much almost a full-blown psycho i'm i'm assuming so the only reason yeah i mean he was able to live quietly but not for long no he wasn't able he was unable his brother frank 
is like the more calm, like you could say the intellectual one. Like Frank would actually quote Shakespeare, <laughs> which is a really weird thing to wrap your head around, but good for him. Did he, do you know, did Frank live much like longer. till old age or was he caught or? Until the 1900s. He okay. Lived, after Jesse's killed, Frank is actually given amnesty. Oh, really? Yes, it's given full, basically a full pass. But he also lived quietly. He didn't go back to it. He just was, he sank away. But yeah. Is Jesse like, um, is Jesse like Billy where there's, there was like a legend that said he really wasn't killed and this, that, and the other? I mean, yeah, but that's all of them. Right. Right. Um, Because it's not like news spreads by word of mouth. Right. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, it's just, it's just so, cause like these men evade death, they seem invincible. So yes, the, and they're just fanboys. So if you want to do the film fiction of the 1870s or the 1880s, that's, that's what you do. What else are you going to do? Whittle. So what do you, what are you, uh, ranking? I said negative eight. I will go when I say higher than that. Um, I'm going to go because wrapping Attaching yourself to a political story is almost chef's kiss good. It's just for completely horrible reasons. But that means to me he is more clever than crazy. Now he's still going negative. I'm just going to go negative five. Giving him basically, I think your score negative eight is a really good score. I'm giving him three more points because he was smart. He wasn't dumb. You can claim him to be a lot of things. He was not a dumb man. And until he was Robin Banks masked and then would just take off his mask. Hey guys, what's going on? I think that's arrogance. I think that's, hey, right. who I am. Try and stop me, anyone. Right. Until he got to Minnesota. And I love good old Northfield. Minnesota. <laughs> that finally showed. Minnesota was the, the most passive aggressive people up there. Right. They're taking him down. Just shouted A at him the entire time. <laughs> hey, you're going at the bank, eh? Ooh, better scoot on out of there, huh? Not in our town. I think that was Irish. Wee little bit, laddie. <laughs> okay, so that is negative 13. I got to get better at reading out scores. So are you satisfied? He's at negative 18 at R. Be sure you are right, then go ahead. He is at negative 19 and a half for it to hell with the consequences negative 13 so because he is negative we're not going to add another dang thing to his score we're going to keep subtracting on our next round so from here on out we're going to continue subtracting but our scores we're only going to hand out scores from zero to negative 10 draw if we were in a duel with negative 10 I think you need to save that 10. I don't want to tell you what to do, but you might want to just little, little wiggle room there. But yeah. How, how screwed is he? Uh, we're, we're screwed. He's killing us before we even think about it before we even asked for a shootout. What if he asked you how calloused your hands are? Would that matter? He might skip you. Mm, no, because I wouldn't have calluses. So that means I wouldn't be a working man. Slacker. I'm, I'm gonna say negative. I'm gonna say negative eight. 
That seems about right. Now, is he going to shoot you? I didn't hear a lot of how good of a shot he was. I guess you don't need to be a good shot if when you're point blank. Two feet, yeah, two feet but from the person. I'm going. Mm, I'm going negative nine. That's okay. about right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're definitely dead, no matter what. Yeah, like, we're screwed. I like I said, when we're arguing, he's just going to pull a gun out and kill us before we even. We even it back. comes to that, right? Yeah, we ain't coming back from this one. Okay. Legacy. How well known is he? Hmm. Considering he is very well known in multiple media, I'm going to say 10. I can't argue with that. I do. I will forever remind you that you gave Wild Bill a five, but (laughs) I would like everyone to uh, at Matt on Facebook or Instagram and still let him remind of that five. But that's fine. I'm not bitter. No one knows him. Agree to disagree. Internet, do your thing. Let him know. (laughs) Continue letting him know. Uh, yeah, I think negative 10 is fine. I, because who's more famous than him? I would say Wild Bill is more famous. Billy the Kid? Billy the Kid is up there. Negative 10. I don't know. He's the um, um, Davy? And maybe. He's the baddest of all the baddies as far as legacy goes. Wild so. Bill? Uh, yes, it should be Wild Bill. I gave him a 10 correctly anyways you can change your score we have no precedent that says we can't change scores Mm-mm. you're a monster next round death bonus we're gonna hand out one to two points if we think that his story is cool um i think maybe one yeah so i, I mean did- i think he accepted it i think he accepted defeat at the end and that's why he took off his belt Agreed. That's what I was going to. That's why I said we should talk to her during death bonus because he knew it was up. He did not want to be taken in. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just going to say, I wonder if he wanted him to kill him. I think he did. I, because especially he take, they said that Robert Ford said that he never saw Jesse without his guns. So why would he make this big this big showing of taking off his guns to go dust off a picture across right. the room. Right. And then especially he hears the gun click because in most of the stories, he turns his head a little bit and he just seems to pause. And if right, Jesse right. really wanted yep. to go that way, like, like give him a little head nod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't believe there's any way um, that he wasn't killed. By the way, they actually, after Jesse was dead, they showed his body in the parlor for 10 cents for everyone who wanted to come see it. Really? What happened to um, Ford? Uh, he actually did a stage show. He and, his really? brother, he and his brother that killed him actually did a stage show of basically just retold that story. And uh, I think we're going to do, I say this a lot, but we're going to do a little mini rapid ranking episode one of these days and we'll do the McCall's and we'll do the, um, the Robert Fords of the world. I um, think that would be fun. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm also going to meet you at the negative one. It's fine. He gave up. I don't think he was going to commit suicide. 
Um, mm, yeah, I think negative two is fine. Oh, and next round, counting coup are confirmed ish kills and this is a real difficult number to look up because there are about four different sources saying different numbers uh including the highest number if you include the centralia massacre uh he was involved with over 180 murders uh him individually though the number we're going to go with and i'm citing this from true west magazine so get angry at them everyone is 16. That's it? Confirmed-ish. Yeah, confirmed-ish. Which gives him a bonus point of 1.6. Oh, wait, I gave that to Calamity Jane. She doesn't deserve those points. 16. Okay. That means Jesse James has a hell of a score to beat if you're a bad guy. Our highest score is Tecumseh at 69.1. Billy the Kid is at 68.1. On the opposite end of the scale, we have Tenskwatawa at negative 12.5. And the lowest of the low Jesse James now sits at negative 87.9. I don't think there's going to be anyone. Eh, there's going to be people lower than There's going to be one I can think of <laughs> close. I think he's probably going to be the lowest score because his legacy. To sum up Jesse James, what a bad man. What a horrible person. <laughs> Oh, we got to uh, draft him. We do. And he is a big name. I am fearful for whoever is on his team. But I'm going to flip the coin. Heads. You you look at it. Uh, Back it up. I can look at so it's it's heads. You won. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. I will be bad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm drafted. <laughs> nope. You said it's fine. <laughs> it's uh, it's video game rules. I don't think so. Okay, so Matt, that actually evens us up quite a bit. I feel. Um. Let's see. So Matt's team now consists of Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, who is probably shaking in her seat. And now Jesse James. My team consists of Billy the Kid, Daniel Boone, and Tecumseh. And our lone free agent is Tenskwatawa because he was terrible. And with that... I think we're going to bring this episode to a close. Any remaining thoughts on Jesse, the uh, the mass murdering psychopath? No, just it's crazy. My I my totally flipped my idea of him. Now go watch the assassination of Jesse James again, and and you will view Jesse as a completely different character. 
If you like what you heard today, go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button. We'd very much appreciate it. Also, give us a review on whatever podcast service you are listening to. We do have a Facebook group. It is a group, so you have to be invited in. But Eric or I will definitely invite you in. So don't worry about that. Just click the join group button. It is Ranking 76, the American West podcast. We also do have a instagram page i promise you it's getting up there i am working on it it is at ranking 76 podcast and finally our email ranking 76 pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and as always i am eric and i'm matt and we will see you next time